welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Matt Carpenter on February 6th, Lord's Day Service. Our text this morning is Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus 16, beginning in the first verse. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of the young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering. He shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded with a linen sash and with a linen turban he shall be attired. These are the holy garments. Therefore he shall wash his body in water and put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats as a sin offering and one ram as a burnt offering. And Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. Now skip to verse 11. And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, with his hands full of sweet incense, beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. And then he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony, lest he die. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with a finger on the mercy seat on the east side, and before the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, for the, which is for the people, bring its blood inside the veil, do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions and for all their sins. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. And then verse 29. This shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do not do work at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells with you. For on that day the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sin before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict your souls. It is a statute forever. Let us pray. Our Father, you have given us great and precious privileges and promises as we receive your word. May we lay hold on those promises and prepare for the time when we too, just as Aaron here, 
was preparing to meet you. In Jesus' name, may the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. What is the most important day of your year? For many, it's Christmas. For some, it's Easter. For others, it's whenever we get summer vacation started. For the ancient Israelites, the answer was easy. The most important day was the Day of Atonement. Here, the people would see their impurities literally carried away by a goat. Here they see their high priest go into God's presence. It is the one prescribed day of fasting while they remembered their sins and transgressions before God. Not only was this the most important day of the calendar year for Israel, this event, the Day of Atonement, is the central event in the first five books of Scripture. It's the event that restores God's holy ground and points to the final restitution of everything in Christ. The meaning of the word atonement is commonly thought of as forgiveness. But it's actually more complicated than that. A closer synonym for the word atonement is another called expiation, which doesn't necessarily help a whole lot, or removal. Atonement is used to picture a lot of things together in one word. It pictures a gift that covers a transgression. It, it's, uh, it could be a ransom. It could be removing something from one place to another. And in, in general, atonement is given to deal with some type of problem. Scripture uses it differently at times. But the, the most important idea of atonement is that atonement removes division. When there is separation somewhere, a, a relationship has been harmed, has been severed, atonement brings it back together. The very first offerings mentioned in the book of Leviticus the ascension offering and the purification offerings, they're both said to make atonement. That is, they help restore fellowship. That's, that's the offering that when the person would come to the gate of the tabernacle, they would bring the, these offerings to help get them back to God's presence. Atonement is the process of dealing with sin or cleansing from impurity. It's the process that has to happen for forgiveness to happen. See, all the, you know, we hear that we're we should forgive, and that's true, we should. But you have to do something with the transgression. You can't just pretend like it doesn't exist. It has to go somewhere. The Day of Atonement taught Israel what happens to the sin. What happens to the transgression. Now there's so much to unpack 
here. We can't do it all in one week. So we're going we're gonna to take this over a couple of weeks. This day, though the priest and the people were reminded of their sin. They were reminded of their uncleanness, their general separation from God. <coughs> yes, there were various offerings that allowed them to come into God's presence, but over time, not only was Israel as a people did they become unclean, but pollution in a figurative sense would build up in the tabernacle itself. Have you ever noticed, and I pointed this out before, but have you noticed that a lot of times the blood was not sprinkled on the people? When you have these offerings, where does the blood go? It's sprinkled on the furniture. It's placed on the altar or the tent when it was consecrated, or in this case, it is sprinkled on the mercy seat, the place that is in the holiest place, the most inner sanctuary of the tabernacle. So this day is a day of restoration, of cleansing the house of God through blood. The idea is not just that we have sin and need cleansing, although we do, and we need that. But it's much more cosmic. The picture is that the earthly dwelling of God, this tent which was to be God's abode, needed cleansing because people come to the tabernacle and they touch things. And yes, they try to go through the ceremonies, through the washings, but still we live in an evil world and all of our attempts to remain clean, you know this, they still fall. You can strive to have a household that serves God. But I'm going to tell you what, as long as you live in your household, your household will have sin can't speak for the other people in your home, but just you. We all know this. Sinners sin. And Christians, those who are bought by the blood of Christ, we sin. So this act reminded Israel of their sinfulness and the need for their own cleansing. Because they too, one day, just as this priest, this high priest on the Day of Atonement, every person in Israel would one day meet God. And meeting with Yahweh was the highlight of the day. We read in verse 2, he says, I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Now, I don't know if you've seen many de depictions of this. There's not actually very many. But the cloud that he's talking about is the cloud of incense that rises from the altar in the holiest place. So when the priest would go into this inner sanctuary, so, so you would have you know, the tabernacle itself, you, this tent, and you, the, he would go in, and the first chamber is the place that has the table of showbread, and it, there is an altar, but then 
Beyond that, there was a veil, and inside of that veil is where the Ark of the Covenant was. It is the place where the mercy seat was. The mercy seat is the lid. It is a picture of a throne. There was two cherubim on either side in gold. This is to resemble God's holy throne. Well, the priest had to go in and he had to, he's commanded to create a cloud, but not just his own cloud, it's a cloud of incense. He would take coals and he would take incense and he would sprinkle the incense on the burning coals and it would create a cloud. Because the priest's eyes must be shielded from seeing the unveiled glory of God. No man could see God in his pure glory and live. The liturgy this day was pretty simple. Aaron offered a bull as a purification offering for, for himself and his priestly sons. And then he would offer a ram for an ascension offering. So this is the basic two offerings to go into God's presence commanded in Leviticus 1. Then two goats were brought, and they are considered, both of them are sacrificial goats. One would be sacrificed, one would be killed, and the other was for Azazel. We commonly translate that very obscure Hebrew word as scapegoat. Now we'll take a closer look at these two goats the next time. Aaron, though after this he would enter the holiest place, take the coals of fire from the altar and offer the incense before the Lord. And then he would take the blood of the bull and then later of the goats. And he would sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat. He would sprinkle it on the throne. He's preparing, he's restoring the mercy seat so that the Almighty can meet with him. It's interesting also that Yahweh calls for Aaron not to wear his normal priestly attire when approaching the holiest place. You know, a few weeks ago we, we looked at all the, the colorful robe that he would wear, and then he had the ephod and his turban and everything. All of those, those were his regular priestly garments, but this, this day, he would not wear that. For this one occasion, he wore a simple white linen. He's going into the presence of God in his most basic clothes. And then before he would come, or when he would come back out to do his priestly work, he would then put on his priestly garments Again, but I want you to consider this from Aaron's perspective. Imagine if you were Aaron and you were charged with going into the presence of God where your sons had recently died. We're told, very first verse, when he sets the stage for this, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. 
He's returning to the scene. Now that, that death, again, if you were not here, this is not a mere mistake that Nadab and Abihu made. They, they didn't you know, get the recipe wrong and then go in and God zapped them. No, this was a purposeful, willful decision to disobey. When God's presence had come down, they chose to go into God's presence. It was not their job. They're not high priests. They were not given that task or responsibility, and they willfully took it upon themselves. And they were killed. But still, Aaron was told to go in. This place had meaning for him. But not just the memory of his sons. He's going in where Almighty God was. It's one thing for God to appear unexpectedly, as often happened. We don't think of this because we live in a time when we have the, we have the Word. We have the Scripture, and, and it's plain. Jesus Christ has come. He's revealed the way of salvation. But in the Old Covenant, particularly in this time, they did not have that. And oftentimes, He appeared to the patriarchs. God appeared physically to Abraham. He appeared to Jacob. He even appeared to Moses. But it was not anticipated. Here it is. Aaron knew God would be there. Now, when I say God would be there, though, what we can often think, because this is something that we see in, you know, presented on television or something like that, God's presence is kind of a, this, this foggy, misty thing that, you know, just imagine a, a cloud and a voice coming out of it. And that's what we think. But most of the time in Scripture when God appears, it's not like that. He appears in form, in human form. We've been reading on Wednesday nights uh, the book The Unseen Realm. And the last chapter that we covered gives great detail to the appearances of God in the Old Testament in physical form. It happens much more than we think about. God said He would be, told Aaron and Moses, He would be in this cloud in the tabernacle, not as the cloud. He would be in this cloud, in the same way that he himself appeared to Moses in the burning bush. It's not just that the bush was on fire and a voice comes out. God himself was in that bush speaking to Moses. Would you be afraid if this were you? You can bet that having just seen these two younger men die because they went into God's presence when they were not supposed to, you can bet that there was a degree of fear. <clears throat> you can also be assured that the priest would do what God told Aaron 
and Moses and all the, the people to do in verses 29 through 31 when he said, this is the day to afflict your souls, to confess your sins. But even so, Aaron did not go empty-handed. His calling was not just to go and observe God's presence or not just create this incense cloud. It was to purify the place where God would come. The priest was responsible for cleansing God's throne. He was the steward of the realm. Think of it like God's housekeeper in a sense. So now add this weight to it as well. Not only if you're the priest, are you responsible for your own sin and your own uncleanness dealing with that, but you're also responsible for the uncleanness of God's people as a whole. This is on you. Now when you meet with God, you want everything to be right. The times we see men encounter the Almighty no one ever remains placid. When they see, not even Yahweh, just when they see angels, they fall down. John, the apostle, who had walked with Christ, when he sees an angel in the book of Revelation, falls down as if he were dead. And what does the angel say? Get up. I'm created being like you. And if that's me, I, I don't know that I would say it, but I would be thinking, my mind wants to, but my body's not working. That's, we've probably never had an experience like that. And Aaron is going to the place where God is. But now, in God's new covenant, the priesthood is expanded. We, like the priest of old, have daily work for ourselves. And we have work in God's expanded tabernacle. Our homes need purification. They need restoration and blessing. Our relationships need this. Our church, our city needs us to perform the work to which God has called us. But we know that we, like the priest of old, at times fall short. So how do we prepare to meet with God? This was once a year this Day of Atonement. All of Leviticus points to this day, to the, to the day when the priest would go before God. And for all of us, we have the privilege of coming into God's presence when we worship Him. And we see Him in faith. We have the privilege of coming into His presence when we gather to pray. Even when we're praying in our own home, there is a definite sense that we are coming into His presence. But I'm going to tell you, we 
Though we go into His presence now and see Him in faith, we have never seen Him the way that we will one day see Him. One day, death will swallow you. We're told in Scripture it's appointed unto every man once to die. And afterwards comes the judgment. I can remember in our youth group growing up, there was some who would say, well, I hope I get raptured so I won't have to die. Until one wise older saint said, nothing says in Scripture that those who are raptured won't die. They may die and then be caught up. And that was pretty deflating, I'll be honest with you. Have you ever imagined standing before God, the judge of all? Seeing Him the way John did, the way Daniel did? Look, and, and all at once, everything that you ever thought was important in your life is not important anymore. The priest came before God's presence once a year, and his glory, God's glory, was clouded by the incense. But the day that you stand before him, the day that, we, that I will stand before him, there will be nothing to shroud his glory. It will be more glorious than Jacob's vision of the steps going to God. It will be greater than Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, when he stood himself in the holiest place and he has a vision of the seraphim singing to God. So, so when that's you, when that inevitable day will come, for some it's closer, for others it's further out. But when that day comes, what will you say? What will go through your mind? Have you performed your work well enough? Will your faults drown out your hope? How can we as fallen creatures prepare to stand before the soul-drenching power, majesty, and brilliance of God? The hope, the only hope we have is that a greater, perfect high priest has gone before us. Hebrews 10, 19 and 20 through 22 says, Having therefore boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. That holiest is the most holy place. That inner veil. By a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. As you grow older, you will think more and more about meeting God. particularly meeting God when you die. It's coming. There is no escape. 
It should be a sobering thought. This is part of the call for Israel once a year to afflict their souls. It's not morbid introspection, but no one can think about meeting God and be passive or leisurely about it. Because on that day, there will be no cloud of incense. There will be nothing to protect you. But if you follow Christ, the great high priest, you can approach the throne on that day without fear. Because He, Jesus, has provided your atonement. He has sprinkled you with His precious blood. He is the one who's come. You were who were made a part of His tabernacle. He has cleansed you. The blood has been applied to you. And what was before unclean is now made clean. And He's washed you with His pure water. When you stand before the great I Am, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, you will never have to leave His presence as the high priest of old did. They would go in once a year, and then at the end of their work, they would turn around and go back out. They would go back out into the old creation. They would leave the presence of God. And just even though it was an amazing, and I can't even imagine what the sight was, I can also imagine that the feeling of having to leave the presence of God was a bit saddening. But on that day, you won't have to leave His presence. When you go into the holiest place and stand before God, Rather than returning to the world, the old world, you will pass through the tabernacle. He will call you with the white robe of a priest, and He will gather you to the marriage supper of the Lamb, where you will take your place with the saints of God in His new creation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this privilege. We thank you that we follow our great high priest who's made the way for us. And now, as we continue in worship, may we do so with an eye towards the time when we will indeed meet you and never be the same. Through Christ we pray, amen.